Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I'm here with Riggs Eckleberry. Riggs, thanks so much for joining us. It's a great pleasure, Brian. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Riggs is the founder and CEO of the innovative water technology company Origin Clear, which is delivering water solutions for industrial customers worldwide. Origin Clear has developed and licensed an invention that treats industrial and agricultural wastewater with very little energy and no chemicals. And now industrial users can treat their water right where they use it using prepackaged point-of-use water treatment systems that have an amazing life cycle of up to 100 years or more. And Riggs, we're recording this in early September 2022, and there is a town south of Nashville where I am called Jackson, Mississippi, which currently has no access to water, and it's been about a week now. And so this is a very timely conversation about the state of water infrastructure in America and obviously, it's becoming almost a geopolitical strategic issue in terms of access to water. So could you maybe give us just a, a high-level snapshot of what the water industrial complex in America looks like today and how it's developed to what it is? Well, yes, I have good friends in Jackson, a beautiful town, great people, and it's a sad situation that is occurring. Now, there's many indications. We heard about Flint, Michigan. There's Fort Lauderdale had, you know, Sewers breaking. Las Vegas, New Mexico is drinking out of bottled water right now as I speak. So it's happening all over the place, unfortunately. What we have is we have a breakdown in central infrastructure for 150,000 plus water systems in America. And for some reason, the funding isn't there. We had a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, and it only allocated $55 billion to water 
for the entire nation. And research has shown that we're falling behind by $75 billion each year. So our infrastructure is falling apart and it doesn't seem it's going to get handled soon. And so our mission became, what can we do? So what is the issue in terms of it falling apart? Is it a case of, you know, government just doing the job poorly? I'm trying to understand, are they public-private partnerships in terms of the industrial complex that manages the water infrastructure in America today? Is it state-by-state differentiation, depending on what jurisdiction you're in? It is a patchwork situation with sometimes very small municipalities. Look at what happened in Compton, California. They one day woke up to brown water coming out of their faucets. And they said, what's going on? And the local water treatment companies that was owned and operated by the city said, oh, it's just magnesium. It won't hurt you. But they're like, well, we don't like brown water. And they said, well, we've been asking for 10 years for funding to fix it. And it hasn't been fixed. Well, that got taken over by the LA, Metro LA system and the problem got taken care of. But it's a symptom of what goes on here, which is that these are often very small operations and they are doing local funding. Federal funding dried up. It was quite high in the the 70s and it it just dwindled and it went from grants to loans. And I think it's just out of sight, out of mind. We take water for granted. We shouldn't. Uh, For some reason, can't say our roads are great either but at least we're aware that roads and bridges need to be taken care of. And so I just think that we have a broken process for centralized infrastructure. I'll give you an example. Let's look at, look at the bulletproof train in California. What bulletproof train? It's not happening. What's going to happen instead is we'll have the Google self-driving car. Why? Because there's freeways already. So we have a problem with infrastructure at every level. We're just not building those big projects anymore. And even if we wanted to, I'm in a region, Pinellas County, Florida, which is quite urbanized. Where would they put them, right? And so the problem is, where do you put the sewage systems? There's a NIMBY problem, not in my backyard. The funding's not there. So we basically saw a trend emerge that was documented in wonderful research by a group playing Lux Research that in 2016 really convinced me this was the way to go, which is decentralization. Take the load off the center and make the the polluters, the users, do their treatment at the edge. Now, this has a double-barrel benefit. Number one, the users at the edge now, businesses, get better control over their water treatment. They can recycle, which means they get, you know, America doesn't recycle its water at all. That's a separate issue. And secondly, it enables the municipality to not have to deal with all that industrial and agricultural water, which is 80, 85% plus of all water use. And now they can focus on humans who are being overcharged right now. I don't know if you've been hearing about the social justice issues around water rates. People are spending 12, 14% of their take-home pay on water. Come on, this is ridiculous. Ireland makes water free and it should be free. But we can't do it if the cities are trying to treat all this industrial toxic waste, all this agricultural waste. Let's offload that and let the cities do their job for the people. Right. And and that's the trend that I wanted to hear your commentary on is 50s, 60s, 70s became part of this kind of public infrastructure project in America. It's clearly broken, right? We're seeing what's playing out in real time in the Southwest where Lake Mead is empty partially due to what's happening with the climate, but also just poor 
management and poor policy across the board. You feel like privatization and the three hallmarks that you kind of called out there, direct, local, decentralized, that's the solution to this problem, in your opinion? Well, I don't believe that we should privatize the central systems. This has been a disaster in England in 1998. They sold all of the reservoirs to private organizations. And now they are in a terrible drought. There's no reservoir capacity. And so, and this happened in Flint too, where a local operator didn't do the right stuff. So I believe that central water systems should remain in the public hand. If the city wants to delegate the operating of a system to Veolia, that's fine. That's great. But they should retain control. What we're talking about is businesses doing their own water treatment, taking responsibility. So all they're sending to the city is treated water, right? Now that doesn't create a problem for the city at all. That's actually a benefit. It's kind of like mainframes and PCs. I'm old enough to remember having had to schedule time on a mainframe because why? We were serving the mainframe. PCs flip it around. PC serves me. Sure. 90% of the time it's not working. It's just sitting there idle, but it's ready for me on, a, on, you know, on the spot. So that's the benefit of decentral, of, of taking things to the margin is lots of availability, uh, lots of service. Businesses like, I mean, we deal with them constantly. Our business is increasingly, we, we almost tripled our, our revenues year to year, as we recently announced. And with most of these are decentralized, you know, treat your own water companies. And they like it because they get control. And also they save money on water rates. There's all kinds of reasons why it's good. And it's beneficial for the public policy. So I believe it's an unstoppable trend. The water industry likes it. The, the cities are like, great, I don't have to treat your water. That's great. So everybody's in favor of it. We found that there was one barrier. And this is a barrier we actually found. You know, COVID caused us all to like look at our business model. And we're there sitting there in March 2020 going, oh Lord, what's going on? And we realized that we had, I don't know, $45 million worth of deals sitting there waiting to, to happen on various stages. And we finally realized it's the money, stupid. If we make, turn it from a capital expense to an operating expense, just make it water as a service, then people sign a service contract and they get their water treatment and businesses are accustomed to paying on the meter anyway. And that became a program that is really a flagship program for us, which is called Water on Demand. And it's combined with decentralization, but it accelerates it. So you, you mentioned the, the utility costs. Obviously, inflation is playing a part into this. I know that there is research out there or notes saying that a large swath of Americans are now 90 days late paying their utility bills in some jurisdictions. This issue is not going to go away. You mentioned some names. How, what is the scale of the private for lack of a better term, I'm not sure, but water market today. And, and what do those corporations look like? What are the services they're providing? And how are they creating innovation within what has been typically a reserve of the public institutional world? Well, yes, there's some very big players. You know, the largest American one is American Waterworks, very good company. Give you an idea of the scale, their mergers and acquisitions budget alone yearly is a billion dollars just to buy companies, Right. Very large. Now, what are they doing? They are tapping the municipal bond market, which is how these central systems are generally funded. And they're servicing the cities and they're doing a fine job. They are not really focusing on decentralization. That, that, that is something that is, I don't know if you ever heard of Clayton Christensen, a great thinker, the, the Innovator's Dilemma, wonderful book he wrote, which 
says that the, the seed of, of the new things, they're always suppressed by the existing players because the revenue model is different, right? When we go decentralized, we go smaller. And for Veolia, a $500,000 water system is like too small, right? They're do, they want to do 10, 20, $30 million systems. And there's a place for that. So we have two scale issues. We have mainframes and they're going to continue. But at the same time, we have the quote unquote PCs and those are a growing market. I, and, and numerically is much, much larger because of the number of businesses in America. And it's an unstoppable trend. There's a great case study by another company in our space called Cambrian Innovation, great company. And they were approached by Russian River Brewery in Sonoma County. And Russian River Brewery was encountering major rate hikes by Sonoma, also very, you know, lots of regulatory demands and so forth. And they said, well, we got to take, we got to like, business people think of risk reduction. They don't want to be in the water business. They just want the problem to be contained. Like water is fine. So Cambrian helped them out with one of these water as a service deals and Russian River signed up a contract and started paying, you know, on performance on, you know, on the, what's called throughput contracts, they're called. And it worked out great because they were able to get the contract had built in, you know, it's long-term, 10, 15 years. It's got an index inflation and so forth, but at least you're, you know what it's going to be. And you know how, we don't know what's going on with inflation right now. It's impossible to tell. And here's the weird thing, Brian, water rates are skyrocketing even before 2020. They were running 65% higher than regular inflation already. What is, up, what is up with that? Why are we skyrocketing water rates? And so businesses are like, whoa, whoa this has got to stop. And they put it in a box and they go, okay, I've got a contract. It's a decade-long contract. I can worry about something else. And that, I think, is very rational. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to increase the quality of water in America because cities will not be having to deal with the most toxic water, which is industrial. So there are some big players in the space. You refer to them as big water. They're changing things, but they're attacking the, the biggest whales first, which, which makes sense. But as a private concern, as a private investor, I mean, is there a, a way to take control of this issue yourselves? If you are, you know, a landlord, an owner, a private citizen, I mean, what options are there in the marketplace for you today? Okay, well, there's two sides of it. One is how do I treat my water and how do I deal with that? Now, generally the water utilities have not abandoned the general user. You can still flush your toilet, it goes fine. So that's not the issue. What's happening more and more is that, for example, housing communities, housing developments are being located off-grid and they're setting up their own independent system. Why? Because it's economically much better. They get cheaper land and they don't have to deal with the capital expense of running sewage to the city, et cetera. So there's a lot going on in that area, but really the other side is investment. Right now, I don't know about you, but I have no idea where to put my I'm looking at the stock market. I'm like, it's up, it's down, it's sideways, whatever, right? And you know, even gold, Bitcoin, nothing's working. Energy is in trouble. Even though the energy companies are making money hand over fist, the stocks aren't doing great. Here's why. All of these commodities and risk assets and so forth have been running for a long time. They're maxed out. And what we're saying is, okay, we've created a way for the ordinary investor to invest directly in water projects, these new decentralized ones. And 
it turns water into an asset. Obviously, I'm pitching here, but it turns water into an asset that generates royalties for you, the investor, and you get it shares in this, this water on demand. So it's a new investing avenue. And we find that people are like, oh, wow, I can invest in water. How cool is that? So people want to do something about it and they can. They can invest in water on demand and they will, I believe, get good return on their money, but they'll also be helping this big mega trend of self-sufficient water treatment by agriculture and industry. So is a fair corollary to this energy where, you know, for instance, the, um, America is one of the few places where you can actually own the mineral rights beneath the surface of the lands. Private individuals can then contract with larger groups to make a yield on those working interests in terms of mineral rights. Is it a similar parallel here where you're taking the government out of the equation, you're privatizing this asset, this commodity, and you can you know, make income off of it? Right. Now, we're to be clear, we're not talking about water rights, which is a whole separate game. Right. And there's actually good stuff happening there where the Chicago Mercantile Exchange has got a, has got a, you can trade your water rights, you can reuse them. That's all good stuff. I have a good friend who, who um, has a company called Water Ledger that enables farmers to resell their unused water rights. All this stuff is good. What we're really talking about is once people have the water in their hands, what do they do with it? Well, they should do two things. They should treat it and they should recycle it. I mentioned earlier that the U.S. is very bad with recycling. That's that with Israel, which recycles almost 90% of their water. The number two in the world is Spain with 20%. U.S. is at 1%. Why? Because we built our water infrastructure very similar to the energy grid, which is one direction, outward. Our energy grid does not have a two-way conversation, and neither does our water grid. It's not going to change. We're not going to start you know, sending stuff back uphill the solution then is to get more turns out of the water right where you're using it. And I believe that's an important part of the water scarcity conversation. So let business users do their own thing. It's beneficial to them. It's beneficial to the overall environment. It results in better utilization, better social justice. The municipalities can concentrate on the more needy users because they're not trying to serve corporations. It's all around a, a really, really good remedy. Yeah, it's interesting what you're talking about in terms of similar to the electric grid, where some jurisdictions, if there's excess generation, it can be sold on the secondary market to other jurisdictions or utilities that need that. That doesn't exist in the water infrastructure space today in America. It's starting to happen, as I said. And Rave Mehta, Water Ledger, he's got that going. Is that um, this uh, the Veles V E L E S market index is is another way of they're trading it. It's, it's really in its infancy, and that's a separate trend from what I believe is what's a bigger trend in energy is, is people generating their own energy where they are and you know feeding energy back into the grid. Well, that's very similar to what's happening with decentralized water. It's a very similar thing. So big trend towards auto treatment. And by the way, it's people more and more are interested. We've, we've discovered a trend, which is evident, which is people are interested in continuity. Where's my power going to be? Food, water. People have become a little bit paranoid about what's going on. And they've, you know, there's been this big move away from the mega cities to the secondary cities, which by the way, is I think healthy. We need to have better distribution of populations, more manageable, but it does overstress 
For example, Florida is the beneficiary of a lot of immigration, but it also is, again, overstressing the systems. So as they move, they're interested in their own continuity of essential services, rightly so. So doing their own water is great. Now, there's another thing that's going on, which is people are increasingly aware of what's called forever chemicals. And later today, I'm going to be interviewed on a network about this. It's becoming a big topic. People are realizing these forever chemicals, basically the stuff that's in te- that was in Teflon, it's been largely obsoleted, but the stuff ended up going into the groundwater and now it, it doesn't get out of the system. It's kind of stuck in there. And so people need to filter their water. And most people, uh, again, you have a rich man, poor man problem because I've got water filtration in my home, but other people have to live off tap water and it is what it is. So I think that there's going to be a need to do something about the incoming water. We do not operate at the single family home level. We're just not a net mass market. But for example, we have a premium hotel chain that commissioned us to do whole hotel water, incoming water treatment, because they wanted to get ahead of the problem. They wanted to tell their clients, their their guests, the broccoli (laughs) was made with chemical-free water and your shower does not have forever chemicals. And so that's going to become a major trend where housing developments, hotels, RV campgrounds, you name it, travel stops, all that stuff are going to want, you know, have incoming water handled. And also they're going to want to be off the grid for treating that water. And then thirdly, they're going to want to recycle the water for irrigation and so forth. That is a big coming thing. And I think it's super exciting. I love the idea that people can take control of their water finally. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Take the next step by joining the Capital Club, an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals organized by Excelsior Capital. You'll gain access to exclusive alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, private events, and more. Visit excelsiorgp.com slash Capital Club podcast for more information and to sign up today. Yeah, there does seem to be, and I know in my own household, this is true, a distrust of government's ability to create security around energy, utilities, even food, honestly. And this inflation spike we're experiencing is not helping anything at all. And so you're really providing more of a tech solution to an old problem. What are some things that if you're a potential investor, or you just start starting to pay attention to the water utility space or water as an investment thesis, what are some things that you need to be tracking? And, and what would be a catalyst towards a huge amount of change quickly where an entrepreneur like yourself could benefit greatly? Okay. So that's really good points. Of course, as an investor, there's nothing wrong with investing in the big water companies and the, the EFTs, the ETFs rather, exchange traded funds. Uh, municipal bonds. It's all good stuff. It's relatively slow growth. The, the classic water industry, for reasons of you know big capital, big capital investments move slowly. It's how it is, and so it's not going to be a fast growth market, but it's a stable one. It's very, very healthy. Nothing wrong with it. What I think is going to grow, and we're not the only people doing it, even though I'm pitching it. It's it's a phenomenon that's happening, which is direct water system investment by investors very similar to the master limited partnerships that were invented in 1981 by Apache Corporation. Today, $300 billion market is about 60 plus partnerships and they complement 
big oil. They don't replace Exxon, but they, they enable additional capital to enter the space. It's complicated, but you and I can invest in MLPs. It's like 4X. It's the kind of thing you need to know how to do it. But nonetheless, you can. And I think that's going to be a growing thing. So our competitors in this water as a service thing, what are they doing? They're getting their funding from people like JP Morgan Capital. They're getting it from venture capital. We are focusing on the everyday investor, and we think that's going to become a trend. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the the parallel to MLPs. I mean, we're real estate people, and, and that's very similar to what's been going on in the real estate industry for a long time. Just because you own an asset with me in Tallahassee doesn't mean that you can't also invest with Blackstone or KKR or something. It's just a different part of the market. What made you get into this business? Like, What motivated you to get into what seems like a pretty Wild West type industry considering where we are in the current environment? It wasn't. Well, first of all, I kind of backed into it. I came out of high tech. I was a dot-commer. Uh, loved it. Had a wonderful time. You know, you get into a company four months later, you're getting sold. That was like crazy times. By 2006, I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to be a CEO. And a fund agreed with me, which is, you know, watch what you wish for. And so they said, yeah, Riggs, we, could, we think you could be a good CEO. However, we're not doing tech anymore. We're doing green. And they said, where do you want to? We think that algae is the next, the next replacement for fossil fuels for a number of reasons. And so let's launch a company that does algae for biofuels. And I had a wonderful time doing that. You know, I was on network TV and uh, you know, I was called Algae Man on Fox Business, all that good stuff. But unfortunately, fracking came in and just took the floor out of crude oil prices. And all of a sudden, it was no longer $120 a barrel. It was $30, $40 a barrel. And it became, algae became a science experiment, which it is to this day. So we pivoted because, you know, we were already a public company. We couldn't just say, okay, stop. And so we took our technology that you mentioned at the beginning of the show and we repurposed it for water treatment. And that's how we ended up in water. Now, when I entered the water industry, all of a sudden everything went super slow. It's a trillion dollar industry worldwide for water services. It's huge, but it's like, like hotels were before Airbnb and Frankly, hotels are the same as they were even after everything. It is, it is what it is. But what I was finding was the water industry was kind of complacent, doing its thing, kind of bumping along. Meanwhile, a growing amount of scandalous things happening like Flint and nobody, you notice the, the whole Flint debate, you haven't heard from the water industry. You've heard from, you know, Jaden Smith, but you haven't heard from the water industry. And because they're like, well, we're doing our jobs. What's going on? And I believe that we need a structural change. We need to kind of face, you know, turn and face the change, right? And just make it, make it happen. And I think that, you know, our chief engineer, he was doing decentralized water 15 years ago when that wasn't even a term. So it's one of those things that once you start seeing adoption, it's, you know, it's hit an inflection point. I think we're going to see a lot more of it. And I do think there's going to be a big uptick in do your own water treatment by industry and agriculture. And they need to look in the Carolinas. They've got all this nitrates in the water from the chicken farms. And that's a scandal. That stuff needs to be treated. It's not okay. It's creating, you know, we have problem with algae in Florida, again, because of the sugarcane effluent. 
well, there's no excuse for, you know, years ago, I, w- I was, my son was growing up, I was vacationing in Italy and there was this crater lake, beautiful crater lake, surrounded by farms, you know, that were steep farms going into the lake. In America, that lake would have been algae overgrown from all the fertilizer. Not in Italy. It was crystal clear. You could drink the water because they were treating it. And so we need to start doing that in America. But again, we can, like King Canute, you know, municipalities do your job. Not going to happen. Let's make the operators treat their water and make it financially worthwhile for them and for investors. And it's, I think it's win-win. What's the biggest surprise, Ben, that you've learned since getting into the water business? I was surprised. I remember being at uh, visiting the offices of Fast Company in New York and pitching water. And the editor was like, oh, God. could not have been less interested. And I realized people think water is important, but they don't want to hear about sewage. That's that big concrete thing down by the Hudson River that does whatever it does. So it's out of sight, out of mind. And it's, it's natural. I've had my own VCs go, what's the problem with water rigs? I flush my toilet, it goes away. It's an awareness problem. So what I ran into was from having been a media darling in algae, because it was a who knew, to water, which is everybody knows and we don't care, that I became invisible. Now that's changing fast because, like you said, those horror stories in places like Jackson, Mississippi are intolerable. They cannot be allowed to go on and we've got to take this opportunity. So more and more it's in the news. Like I said, later today, I'll be speaking on network news about Forever Chemicals. These people are starting to care. So in a way, it's kind of like we were laboring in the darkness and then it became a thing. And in, but in, in the interim, we built something that we believe is a solution. Related question. If you're listening to this and you have no concept about how your local municipality handles water treatment, water scarcity, water security, what are the questions you need to be asking? your government officials, your local representatives, what should the everyday consumer know? First thing to do is to go to the environmental working group, ewg.org and slash tap water and look up the quality of the tap water in your zip code. It's got a full zip code database and you can find out what's going on. Now, okay, you'll find out there's X amount of this, that, and the other thing. You can get political and you can start shaking the rafters and it's a good thing. Get on the city council and that good stuff is fine. But frankly, do whatever you can to filter your water incoming. It's not that expensive. And for health purposes, it's well worth it. You know, at the very least, get a Brita pitcher. You know, just start paying attention to the water that's going into your body. You know, I have my doctor said to us, get these shower heads that prevent the Roundup from getting onto your body, filters out the Roundup, because that's bad. So there's little things you can do like that to just Pay a bit of attention to the quality of what you're drinking and putting and showering with. If you can do a whole home system, great. But at the very least, take care of some of the, the stress points, such as drinking and showering. I think that's, that's smart. Get involved locally and then you know, help the movement along because you may not have access to investing in Cambrian Innovation because they're VC or 7Cs because they're J.P. Morgan Capital. But Origin Clear has, you know, welcomes accredited investors and more than at least half of the money goes directly towards these capital projects. And that, I think, is tangible change. I'm screwing around this website right now. It's, 
I had no idea. I mean, it's just not something that I've really took into consideration, to be honest. So it's a fascinating space. I think water security, water scarcity is going to be headline news moving forward and, and only going to get harder to navigate. It's interesting you mentioned Israel. I know that they have a, a large desalinization complex, one of the largest in, in the world, I believe. Mm-hmm. Are there other countries we can look to as examples if you're an investor saying this is potentially what the future could look like? I know places like potentially Australia or Sub-Saharan Africa or the Middle East, are there industries that are more mature than the one in the U.S. that we can maybe look to for signposts of what you know the future might hold in, in terms of investing into the water complex? Well, desalination is is valid, although I think it's the problem with desalination, of course, is and it's very energy intensive. And the problem in the United States is you have a NIMBY problem. Major, major desal project in Huntington Beach, California, eventually got canceled. And so how are consortiums going to invest in something that then is going to get a NIMBY cancellation? That's terrible. You know, it reminds me of, you know, Elon Musk was doing the Hyperloop way under the 405, like, you know, I don't know, 2,000 yards below it. And a neighborhood at the very top of the hill was able to stop it. They were nowhere close to the damn Hyperloop, which is, it's, it's the craziness of the NIMBY politics that's going on. So, you know, yes, Israel is able to do central planning on water and they do it well, but it requires the ability to have a kind of an autocratic hand. We don't have that. Better for worse, we have a very noisy public arena. And so it's very hard to make central change happen. So. Desalination, yes, but I think that, look, let's take one of the big, big problems, which is the problem of the the droughts in the West. Now, let's take climate change for granted. It is happening, but we should have the reserves to, you, you would have a drought, series of drought years, climate change or no, it happens regularly. I mean, however often it happens. And we should have the reserves. Unfortunately, we've been operating without them. As you know, the Colorado River arrives in Mexico. It doesn't even get into the ocean. It stops. Why? It's been completely drained along the way. So we've been operating very much on a perhaps a selfish basis. And I don't think that's going to change. So we need to think about self-sustainability more. What are we going to do about the aquifers? What are we going to do? A major part of our business is fixing a thing you wouldn't think of, which is pump stations. They're pumping water all over the place. And those water systems, those those pipelines are connected by pump stations that take care of the change in verticality. Okay. Those are points of weakness and they result in a lot of leakage. The leakage is as much as 30, 40% of the water gets lost. Well, that's ridiculous. I thought the water was important. So it's going to be multi-point. It's going to be just try and hit all the, all the angles. I just don't think that massive projects are going to work. Let's take India. India's got a $90 billion hydrological program going on in the Himalayas to deal with water issues up there. But meanwhile, they have virtually no sewer systems in Delhi, right? And they got people shoveling stuff and dying from sewer gases. Well, they're not going to put in giant central sewer systems, the solution even there is self-reliance. These, you know, small is beautiful. So it, in my opinion, the way to solve these problems is local action, local initiatives, do things. I can point to a, 
well, you know, another example closer to home is Miami-Dade County, which was built very responsibly. They kind of did a big sprawl and a bunch of septic tanks, over 100,000 septic tanks all over the county. Those things leak, they're bad, et cetera. So now the county wants to go put sewage out for like six plus billion dollars. They don't have the money. They'll take 20 years and they're going to tear up cities, streets the whole time. How about just giving a rebate to those people to convert it to proper treatment? And boom, the problem goes away. So this, again, local initiative, don't go for the big central Army Corps of Engineer type style stuff. That's over. And we need to recognize that. If your website and some of the materials you provided are really good, if, if people want to get smart on investing in water, it'd be at Big Water or some of the more private entrepreneurial endeavors like yourselves. Are there good resources or good points of contact, obviously yourself, but others that people should be paying attention to if they want to learn more? Of course. Now, I want to say that every Thursday night, I do a briefing where I cover the entire industry. Like last night, we did a big piece where we had a piece by The Economist and we had another piece that covered the whole social justice issue around water as a right. And so, you know, this is my 176th episode. I don't do it about me entirely. <laughs> so it's, it's a good sort of industry survey. And I welcome people to just go to our site and sign up for the CEO briefing because they'll get good. I just try and keep it interesting. So I'll try and cover it. But at the same time, you know, there are resources. I think that there's some good nonprofits out there that do a good job. As I said, Environmental Working Group has good initiatives on water, NRDC, Charity Water, water.org. They're all doing fine work. And I totally support what they're doing. You know, there's nonprofits that are working on very beneficial things, even in local areas that are working on, for example, homeless issues that are tackling the water side. So a little bit of noodling around. And as I say, I'm happy to provide just a good, interesting look at, what, at all the trends that are going on with investing, with water issues, with the social justice issues. And I mean, yes, there are sources of information and I hope that I'm one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've enjoyed this. It's been super interesting. Water's not something that I'd kind of done much thinking on, but I did a little homework and obviously this conversation has spurred me to be sharper and smarter on it. You are a hard charging entrepreneur, really cool background. You have a lot going on. <laughs> Water is in the headlines seemingly every day. Is there something that you do on a daily basis to try to bring peace into your life? Well, that's really a good point. One of the things we did was my wife and I moved to from Los Angeles to Florida, and I think that was a good move. We, we've got a nice, we're by the water and life is good. But frankly, what I do for peace is I support her. She has an educational program, a small, very, very, almost a, it's like a semi-tutoring operation. And I get a tremendous amount of joy from just helping her, you know, we're, we're about to make it into a nonprofit and do a, a bunch of stuff. I find that very rewarding. I think you'll agree, Brian, that you want to do stuff that's completely different, just <laughs> kind of lighten things up because you cannot. And then you get these alternative points of view. I learn a lot just from what she goes through with her kids and the parents that she serves. So it's a pleasure to, I know, and We'll never get rich off of her school, but it's what it's all about is getting those kids, right? Well, Riggs, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's really fun and a super interesting industry and asset class that I don't know anything about. So it spurred me to, to learn more. 
Uh, for our listeners, please don't forget to leave us a review and let us know the favorite part of today's episode. And Riggs, thanks again. I look forward to staying in touch. Happily, and I'll just uh, have, a, have, a, have a comeback uh, in six, eight months when we have got more to report. And Brian, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Take care. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.